Hello, friends. This is Josie from Speaking in Church, the podcast you are currently listening to. And I wanted to tell you a little bit about my favorite current thing right now, which is Anchor. Anchor is a free podcasting platform. Um, It's the easiest way to make a podcast. This dummy, yours truly, set it up real quick. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer, which, hello, talk about easy. You don't have to be some professional computer person, which is dope. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and literally wherever else you want to put it. Uh, You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership, which, you know, some of us are just not going to get a million people listening, which is fine. Um, It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you want to make your own podcast about literally anything like the two of us, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You're listening to an irreverent podcast. For more unholy content from our friends, head to irreverent.fm. Hey friends, welcome to the Speaking in Church podcast. I'm Josie. And I'm Spencer. And today we are joined by the incredible artist, my fellow art school friend, Eleanor Stelton. I, it's Stelter. Stelter. Okay, I was gonna say Stelzer, like Seltzer. <laughs> Probably yeah. they just had a Seltzer. <laughs> Honestly, like not even the U.S. government gets it right. My first driver's license was misspelled for like oh six gosh. years. Wait, what? The- okay, that's, that's it. I, <laughs> yeah. I'm confident that I would have spelled it right. <laughs> sure, but I stumbled, anyways. Don't we all stumble? We all, we all fall into sin. <laughs> yes. Uh, wow. I'm sorry. <laughs> Starting early. <laughs> Eleanor is here today to talk to us about our favorite subject, which is talking shit about Mark Driscoll. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have to swear. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Okay, we have an explicit on the guy. podcast for a reason. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, mostly yeah, Josie. Fuck, fuck Mark. <laughs> yes. So, uh, now that we've addressed that situation and we'll continue to address that situation, uh, Ellie, tell us your life story, your testimony. Tell us all about you. Yeah. Um, well, I grew up in Seattle, Washington, um, and I live there again now today. Um, I grew up going to a very loosely Presbyterian church um, with parents who had converted after they got married in the mid to late nineties, um, is when they converted. My dad is a, uh, contractor and for most of my life, he was the president of a nonprofit called Homes Without Boundaries, uh, later changed to DOXA, which built housing in Tijuana. Um, and they were partnered with a local orphanage. So I spent a good amount of my life, um, probably two or three times a year going to Tijuana with my family. Um, 
And yeah, and then when I was in middle school, my parents um, moved to Bellevue, which is just across the water from Seattle. It's like Seattle's bougier, richer, (laughs) younger sibling. Um, And at that time, we were still going to... Actually, at that time, we were going to Capitol Hill Presbyterian, which has since closed as well uh, for lack of attendance. Um, And eventually, my parents kind of got fed up going there. And so when I was in high school, I want to say this was like either 2011 or 2012, um, they started going to Mars Hill Church. (laughs) (laughs) we just play a fart noise every time we say it um yep and uh at that time there had already been a significant a significant amount of controversy in the church um they had pretty much there was there was already a pastor who had quit i believe but no one really went with him or did anything with that and uh that was also around the time that Mark Driscoll uh, started consolidating his power in the church around 2007. And so by the time we got there, um, it was pretty much the, the Mark Driscoll hour every day. Unless <laughs> <laughs> Was it really only one hour? Uh, well, I mean, there was like all of the intro stuff and then he would talk for an hour and then there was like outro stuff so too many hours yeah it was very long and you know for me and my brothers growing up in seattle uh going to a church that had openly gay members uh you know uh just generally being surrounded by a a decently diverse group of people, I would say. Um, It was, it was a big culture shock for sure. Um, But even more than that, it was shocking to me just how self-involved Mark Driscoll was. Um, Because at that point, you know, I had, I had been going to church for most of my life and I'd seen different types of pastors and I, you know, was starting to think critically about the world because I was like 15 or 16. And, um, yeah, I just, yeah, it was, it was a big shock to us. And my older brother, actually, he wasn't, he didn't live at home long after we started going to Mars Hill, but he refused to go to church there. Um, he just outright refused. And I was never as, uh, openly rebellious to my parents as he was. Um, and so I didn't really have the strength to do that. Um, and so I ended up going like, I would say for a good two years, I went twice a week, uh, to youth group and a church on Sunday. And then, um, until like from the time I turned 18 up until the church dissolved, I, I pretty much just went on Sundays when my parents made me, um, yeah, it was (laughs) really, it was a really interesting time for sure. I don't, I don't know. What do you, do you guys have any like questions for me about? 
Well, so many, first of all. (laughs) So obviously you attended when like your, you and your parents were still like attending when it closed and everything kind of happened. So I guess kind of talk through that of, you know, what were your, especially like if, if your parents were really sold out on this church kind of thing, like what were their responses, your response, your brother, like maybe even friends, like kind of what was that process? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, by the time we started going to church there, I had already heard some of the the controversy about Mark Driscoll. Um, And, you know, I never really liked the guy. Like I said, he was probably the most self-centered person I've ever seen preach. Um, I think the big thing that really sticks in my mind as um, the first time I, I realized things were like going really bad um, was when somebody who I went to high school with who had applied to work there um, was telling me about the interview process. Um, and she was thinking about going to the newspapers with it because she knew about like the earlier controversies and, and that Mark Driscoll was becoming increasingly unpopular. And so, um, she was telling, but she was telling me about how, when applying to work at the church, they had asked her some really inappropriate things, um, kind of in the same way that like Scientology inducts people where they get like shit on you first. Um, and yeah, so they were like asking about her sexual history, asking if she'd ever committed a crime, like that sort of thing that like, isn't really legal for them to ask, but you know, she was like 18. She didn't know any better. Um, and I remember like my mom distinctly talking about how she thought that this person was making it up for attention. Um, and so that kind of like really stands out to me as like the first, Hmm. first thing, like the first crack that I saw. Um, and then it kind of just, it really started picking up speed around the time I moved out of my parents' house, Um, but I was keeping tabs on it. This was like early 2014, moved out in June of 2014. Um, And that was like when the stuff about the book deal came out, um, which was where like it was uncovered that uh, Mark would use the church's money to promote his... um, books to the top of the bestseller charts. And he had like a book coming out every two months at that point. Um, which I mean, <laughs> doesn't strike me as the smartest person. So doubt that he wrote all of them, you know? No, <laughs> well, no. He, he was he a kid of plagiarism as well. Yeah. So <laughs> he, and, and it's widely accepted that he did plagiarize. Um, yeah. I would say, um, and it was one of those things that was like, just kind of offhand denied, like my, my dad straight up just didn't believe (laughs) that he did it. He was like, Oh, people are jealous of where he's at in life. Like, 
there and and part of that is because the church very much priest prosperity gospel of you know like if you have uh classic yeah if you have wealth it's because god gave it to you because you deserve it which is i'm sure also how mark driscoll justified his like i don't remember how much but he had a fat salary um oh man yeah and then um the other thing was his wife uh oh i don't hear a lot about her you know yeah because there's not that much that's i you know she never speaks that was one of the things about the mars hill churches is um one of their tenants is you have to have a male leader in the church women aren't allowed to become pastors at all um i think they had like some female elders at some point but um you know a lot of the people who ended up on the council on the board of elders were Mark Driscoll's like friends. Um, and he did not see himself as equal with women. And so that didn't usually include many women. Um, but yeah, his wife, I think they had, you know, it was like five or seven kids, like somewhere in that range. And I just always remember just looking at her and she always looked exhausted. Um, and he would like bring his family up on stage and she would like be holding two children and like have another one, like holding her hand. And like, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but she like always had them all over her. And, and then they'd get up on stage and Mark would tell some like really long meandering story about their family. And they had like all the kids and his wife would just like nod and smile with this like horrible empty look in their eyes. And Oh man, she just looks so miserable. I mean, I can't imagine that he had very much to do with the raising if he's writing a book yeah. every two months. Yeah. <laughs> for, <laughs> for like, I want to back it up a little bit just for context. So for people that maybe aren't familiar with Mars Hill. So Mars Hill is like the prime example of like an American mega church, like to the fullest extent. Um, in the 18 years that it was around, it grew to 15 campuses in five states, averaging about 13,000 people a weekend. And um, yeah, like like you were saying about just like how much money, you think about 13,000 people, tithes, gifts, that kind of lucrative cash flow. And for someone like Mark Driscoll, you know, there were lots of controversies of even just like in his preaching style. So like he was like very famously like, you know, yoga grew in a lot of popularity in the early 2000s into the 2010s. He deemed it demonic. It was basically like, nope, can't do that. Um, When talking about like modern depictions of Jesus, um, you know, like when people are trying to be more like accurate to what his facial structure and his skin color and his clothing would probably look like, um, most famously referred to Jesus, the modern depiction of Jesus as a neutered and limp wristed sky fairy of pop culture. 
Um, he obviously <laughs> preached very openly about homosexuality being a sin. Um, and he once said that an anointing a woman as an Episcopal bishop was a step towards voting in a fluffy baby bunny rabbit as their next bishop to lead God's men. And he openly joked about uh, oral sex and masturbation on stage. And so, yeah, he very much leads into sort of a toxic masculinity of evangelical culture. Um, and yeah, there's scandals of plagiarism. There were scandals of um, harassment and misogyny among his staff. And um, when the downfall kind of started towards the end, um, Marshall officially closed on January 1st of 2015. But that kind of last year of 2014, the decline was so rapid that they closed so many campuses. Like their attendance went like dropped by 40% in like six months and they had to cut their staff, like all of this stuff, crazy things happened. Obviously that impacts people's like salaries and livelihood and, and just the ripple effect of just congregants, like so many things that were happening. And also Mars Hill had a church planting group as well. So even though Mars Hill had like its satellite campuses, there were churches that were still affiliated with them, but not operating under Mars Hill as the name. But Mars Hill was like their base for like, I want to start a church in my city. Can you back me? And they would support and try to train leaders kind of thing. So yeah, the impact of this, even though the campuses were only in five states, spanned the whole country because of their network and the amount of people and things like that. So Standard to put the context into it. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the broiest of pastors got super famous in my circles at least mm -hmm. because he started cursing on stage occasionally, which is like I, as somebody who curses, like I dude, I get it. Like, oh fuck. <laughs> or whatever, you know. But also he very much put all of his like eggs in the basket of masculinity will always dominate over women vastly underestimated the fact that if women want to shut you down they're gonna shut you down which is exactly what happened right you can yes. only take people so fucking far and well, I, sorry i just want to i just want to make clear for people mark driscoll is still a pastor to this day he started a yeah, new church we'll get into that yeah he started a yeah. new church only a year later so we're fine because <laughs> it's in my backyard <laughs> yeah okay so so a couple of things um that i want to jump off of just with like the history there there were i think 15 mars hill specific campuses um by the by 2014 um and so the the head campus was technically the campus in seattle that was like their really big one but the one that my parents went to in bellevue um was the one where my mark driscoll was every sunday um and what they would do is if he was preaching they would have cameras up and that would be live streamed to all of these other churches um it was all over the internet they live streamed and like professionally recorded everything they did a really good job marketing and really like getting themselves out there they were very modern in terms of that um mark driscoll definitely appealed to like hipsters in terms of the way mm -hmm. he dressed um like he was modern in that sense but he was yeah he had this extremely rigid uh 
definition of masculinity. And I remember being in church on several occasions, hearing him rant, like he would start preaching from his notes and then he would start like angrily ranting, um, which is where the swearing came from. A lot of the time is he just would like go on these fucked up little rants about like how real men have to provide for their families. And like, that was one of the things that made me the most upset because, you know, there was so much ableism, so much racism, so much sexism of just like, underneath these things that he was saying um and the Bellevue campus as well is um it's one of the richest cities in the world um Jeff Bezos lives there Bill Gates lives there um it's the head of you know video games basically I don't know if you guys knew that Um, but all the big video game companies are centered there and so just a lot of like a lot of people who are into tech deciding to get into Christianity and then um when the controversy started up again when um when people were coming back with allegations of abuse, um, misogyny on display, him cussing people out backstage. Um, and then at the same time, the uh, plagiarism was hitting the newspapers. The knowledge that he had in, uh, falsely inflated his book deal was hitting the papers. All of this kind of started uh, snowballing. And part of the reason why the church lost so many members is because a lot of the staff started quitting in solidarity. Um, I think it was like 30% of the staff at the Bellevue campus quit or something like that. It was pretty much every leader in the church aside from Mark Triscoll and the board of elders. So like pretty much everybody, but him and his like in group. Um, and then, um, you know, stuff started really being investigated and it was mostly found to be true. And so one of the biggest problems I have had with Christianity and with evangelicals in particular is just the lack of accountability. Every Uh time something was brought up, and it was time to address it. Mark Driscoll would be like, oh, you know, like, I'm just a human being. Like, yeah, I've made mistakes. I, you know, this is my sin or whatever. But there was no apology. There was no accountability. There was no commitment to change. And so um, what ended up happening is that the... Well, so part of the reason why this church was technically... Um, non-denominational, I believe, um, and that they weren't legally affiliated with the broader networks of churches, um, which made it a lot easier for Mark Driscoll to abuse his power, um, because there's no external, uh, there's no external system of accountability. Most of the things that he ends up being, ended up being accused of were not technically illegal um but were objectively morally wrong um such as cussing out your staff or you know paying money to inflate your book sales that's actually legal unfortunately um and so all this stuff came out and then in october of 2014 i was at home for some long weekend or something i don't remember and um the 
board of elders had been dissolved and replaced. Um, or I don't remember what happened with them, but like suddenly they weren't on his side anymore. And I believe it's because most of them were replaced. Um, but the board of elders had drawn up this like accountability plan, um, for Mark Driscoll to kind of, you know, be able to step down a little bit and like not have as much power in the church until he could like sort of prove that he was, uh, that he wasn't going to be a little bitch anymore. (laughs) And so he signs this document uh, on like the Friday night before church on Sunday and uh it like goes out to all the newspapers and the plan is for him to announce it on Sunday formally to the church and talk about like what they've agreed on and so I'm there Sunday morning at the Bellevue campus with my family and he starts talking about the accountability process and and he says he's not going to do it and he quit and all the drama I, <laughs> I, just didn't know that. I honestly like i was fighting the urge to start fucking laughing because yes. <laughs> i was it was such a moment of like what the fuck just happened? (laughs) Um, And they just like kind of ended the service like normal. Um, And then he just didn't ever come back. Here's what I think played out in his head, right? Was I'm going to sign this document so I can quit on Sunday. (laughs) Oh, 100%. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It was just like this insane like, oh, he's finally, like, taking accountability for his actions and, like, all, like, there was some, like, fucking think piece from some Christian newspaper about, like, oh, Mark Triscoll's, like, demonstrating how to grow as a person or whatever. And then he Wrong. just quits. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, so... It's wild to hear you talk about it real life because, um... So my experience of, I, I worked in Bellevue for like yeah. two and a partial summer at a Christian summer camp. And so my first full summer in Bellevue was in 2015. So right after Mars Hill. And yeah. it's wild because I knew a lot of people that like, whether it was campers that their families went to Mars Hill or like staffers that were like, well, yeah, I'd like gone yeah. to Mars Hill. And so being in Seattle post that, and it's weird too, because I've also been to the Bellevue and the Seattle campuses, just not as Mars Hill. I've been as, as the churches they are now, because yeah. a church in Bellevue called Doxa that bought that yep. building and then Quest Church in Seattle that used to be, uh, Eugene Cho was the head pastor. Yep. They bought that building. Uh, in Seattle yeah. and they were like, we're going to take this terrible thing and make it better. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and, um, yeah, like, you know, quest is actually, I have a lot of respect for that church. So I'm like, that's fine. Um, but yeah, so it's weird to just, to hear the real time because I experienced the post of it, of people yeah. telling me of like the, their families, like finding new churches or, or even the outside of their, like, Oh, we knew people that went there, but like that church was crazy. Yeah. And when you're it talking about like talking about how like Mark Driscoll, uh, like 
you know, he like attracted like the hipsters and things like that. So I think that's something that a lot of people, if you've never been to the Seattle area, so we were talking about Bellevue being a very wealthy community. Like yeah, the, the road that I worked on at this summer camp, we called it the road to Amazon because people would drop their kids off on their way to work for day camp and then go work at Amazon or those <laughs> other big companies. And they were paying top dollar to take these kids to this camp because of our location and the kind of activities we could afford because of, we were in Bellevue. Yeah. And, and just the, like the, unfortunately it makes me sad because Seattle is one of the most like quote unquote unchurched cities in the country. Like, it's just not Christians don't live in Seattle. It's just not their place. Yeah, We're all like <laughs> atheists and anarchists yes, here. And, or very like, you know, like it's not like if they are spiritual, it's very like humanists, like, you know, like all that kind of stuff. Yep. And it makes me sad because the people that are Christian, unfortunately, a big, huge portion of them fall into the mega church trap because of people like Mark Driscoll, because totally. of people like Judah Smith. These people that like show off the Pacific Northwest lifestyle of I'm cool. I'm hip. I can have nice things. Like it's not bad to like live this lifestyle, but we're different because we're Christian. Like, yeah, it's this weird duality. (laughs) No, totally. But, and, and they were totally capitalizing on the popularity of the Pacific Northwest in like branding. Like I'm just for young people. Yeah. For you. And, and it was all like, you know, these like dramatic shots of pine trees with like Christian music being played over it yes. and like fairly decent graphic design that is now redundant, but at the time was like considered very cool. Um, I would say like they were very, they were just on the curve of what was cool. Like they really mm-hmm. were aware more so than any church I've ever been to of what the trend was and how they could bring people in because of that, how they could profit off of that. And one of the things that I I noticed was in June of 2014, when I sort of stopped regularly attending, I would say there were a couple hundred people there every Sunday. And by October, it was like 40 or something it was just such a drastic <laughs> difference yeah and um and everything had kind of gone downhill as well which I don't think it was even Mark Driscoll leaving that was necessarily the death of the church it was when all of the creative staff quit because they couldn't take it anymore yeah yeah I um unfortunately had the great misfortune to be surrounded by men that were highly influenced by this asshole i uh granted i was also at a baptist church so you know which is weird to me right um why would they like him but these but it was the masculine these dudes were like yeah we're reclaiming godly masculinity again and yeah and i was deep into like being a little baby feminist at the time after you know growing up past misogyny And they were like, Josie, this guy is uh, going to tell you, like, the, somebody in my periphery is like, he's going to explain to you why feminism is wrong. And I was just like, you're not saying anything that I've never heard before. You're just yeah. being dumb. 
But it was well, because they loved Mark Driscoll. They loved that he said the F word and they loved that he had this like, yes, men have to be providers and strong and da da da. And I was like, bitch, if I wanted to, I could be on Wall Street right now and be a provider, but I don't want to. You know, like I have that <laughs> the same masculine constitution that all you assholes have, but because I have a uterus, I can't do this <laughs> because uh, I'm not made in the image of the Lord, like your Bible says. Like, what is the real logic here, right? so it was this reach was so extensive like yeah with all the little hip guys who are like yeah i want to i want to be a man too i want to yeah i want to throw axes or i don't know what people do (laughs) (laughs) he was very charismatic and that's one of the things that i've like again never really seen another church leader who was charismatic in that way of just being so sure of himself and I think that that's something that most people seek out when they are going looking for religion is they're looking for certainty and Mark Mm -hmm. Driscoll definitely had that he had a very strict set of rules of how everything was going to go and how people were supposed to operate and that and I'm sure he still does unfortunately um but it appealed to a lot of people because it was so straightforward. Um, and it made those, you know, those guys feel like the most important people in the world. Yeah. This, I think Mars Hill really also proved of when, you know, you were talking about like the downfall wasn't him leaving. The downfall was staff on staff on staff quitting Yeah, because this really demonstrates that, if you treat your staff like shit, then nothing's going to happen. And yeah. that mm-hmm. was one of the biggest things of, obviously there's tons of problems with the way he preached and spoke and that kind of stuff. But the heart of this issue was the way he treated the people that were on his staff, yep. the way he, you know, and this is the thing too, that I think a lot of people are like, he wasn't the sole founder of this church. He was a co-founder. Yeah. And those people dipped because they were like, screw mark driscoll like this sucks his co-founder i think was the one who had quit in 2007 yes Mm-mm-mm. yeah and yeah and, <sighs> and you know what happened like and then this is the other thing too what josie said like he definitely signed that paper so he can make a scene and then like i said so uh, that was at the end of 2014 the mars hill churches and their uh like church planting branch officially closed January 1st, 2015 in 2016. So a year later, Mark Driscoll, he moved his family to Scottsdale, Arizona, which is about an hour and a half from where I live. And he started a brand new church and that church is still happening today. And for context of, you know, Seattle is a very wealthy city, but also a very progressive city. Scottsdale is a very wealthy city and a very conservative city. So mm-hmm. a church run by Mark Driscoll is born to thrive there. <laughs> Which, and I yes. think they did have several um, branches in Arizona, if I'm recalling correctly. The Southwest was somewhere that they expanded to. They um, definitely had Mars Hill. Scottsdale is a suburb of Phoenix. Yeah. Um, I also had a Mars Hill in Orange County, which... Pfft. 
<laughs> so yeah, like there was a there was a big Mars Hill campus in the Phoenix area. Yeah. And so yeah, moving to Scottsdale was not it wasn't like he picked somewhere random where he had never had like a reach no. there before. It was no, money and politics. Yeah, like it always it. is. <laughs> exactly. Well, and the other thing was um around that time in 2014 was also right when like a lot of the side hustles of the Mars Hill church were really taking off. Um, they started mm. producing like CDs, obviously his books as well at the time. Um, but the music guy, Dustin Kensrew, who was like the cool hit musician who led worship. Um, he was one of the first people to leave and, um, ended up <laughs> probably costing the church a lot of money for all of the CDs he wouldn't record for them. Um, but yeah, it was, they totally, <laughs> they totally mistreated the staff and um, yeah. And it's with, with him starting the church in Arizona, like it's totally just, there's no accountability. There's no nope. authority like the only way that I can see that not working out for him is if people read the stories of what he did at Mars Hill, um, and took that to heart, but it's been years. Like they've had plenty yeah. of time. <laughs> well, I was going to say conservatives often victim blame. So I can really see that not happening. And I can imagine it's probably going to take a really long time for that place to fall apart. And, and this is something that, Josie and I have talked about before of, you know, like I, I grew up in like a non-denominational church. I served a, a non-denominational mega church for a long time. And that one, you know, like that one, because I, because I was on staff for a while, like I knew the sort of like accountability that you're talking about and yeah, there could be improvements, but I was like, oh, overall, like there's some solid things here, but then going to like now attending denominations like specifically united Methodists, like there is built-in accountability in every single layer of that of that denomination of just being a church member serving and it's things like when you think about so like mark driscoll like he had no sort of oversight and where they're like oh but there was a whole connection of churches to mars hill and i'm like yeah and he was the leader he was the one that they were supposed to be accountable for mm -hmm. who was he supposed to be accountable to nobody like that's the issue and unfortunately like that's like one of my biggest issues with these mega churches all over the country of they're growing in popularity and they're growing in power but who are they yeah. answering to really like they're not yeah. answering to their other staff. They're not answering to their congregants. Like, well, and, yeah. and I think if, if the dissolution of Mars Hill church proved anything, it's that the congregants and staff have more power than they think they do. Oh, 100%. Mm -hmm. But they're so often, so just like suckered into this almost cult like mentality. Um, and they really genuinely believe a lot of the stuff that's being sort of spewed at them mm -hmm. by these incredibly uh, <laughs> charismatic leaders. And, you know, pretty much everything you see in a megachurch is a function um, of a cult. Um, mm -hmm. One leader is in charge. 
they the have face. yeah they have the face of everything and then they have a very small group of uh overseers essentially who are their close friends who are never going to say anything bad about them and criticize them and then they have you know sometimes they have staff sometimes they have volunteers um and then they have the congregation and everything is kept in place in order to keep and consolidate power in the hands of the the overseers and the figurehead. And so, but, you know, what the people at the top don't realize is that they have absolutely nothing if they don't have a huge following Mm -hmm. or they do realize that. And so they walk this line of abuse and control and community where they have to kind of keep everybody the right amount of suckered in and and not go too far and you know mark driscoll just went too far he messed up one too many times and so everybody else who's in a mega church probably you know either they're <laughs> in charge and they're taking that lesson to heart of making sure to be a little bit more careful. But unfortunately, yeah, the people who are the victims don't see themselves that way. Um, and yeah. I mean, yeah. it even, it even proves so like when you're talking about like the structure of the few, like his few tight knit, like those naysayers were pushed out. Like the yep. co-founder left in 2007 and look how many years later it took yeah, other things to happen. And even just like, I think the parts of that is the saddest to me is you're right. Like the, the like quote unquote lower level staff and the congregants have more power than they realize. But in that situation, the only power was to leave. The only yeah. thing that they could do to like dismantle the abuse and that kind of stuff was we're all going to leave because they yeah. physically could not change it from the inside yeah. because of how, tight-knit and structured and the walls they put of just pushing out people that wanted to say negativity yeah and this is why people are leaving evangelicalism in general in droves is because there is no like repair there doesn't seem to be any solution to the systems that are already in place and that's why lots of people say like if your church is not affirming leave like you you're yeah. not going to change their minds there's not there's nothing that you can do and even yeah. if there is why would you put yourself through that why would you yeah. put yourself in harm's way for what well, for this church and that's part of the reason why i ended up leaving the church personally was just it had nothing to do really with what i believed or didn't believe it was more about you know constantly being pushed to the side mm. and um as a queer person, just constantly, um, having these strict definitions pushed on me. And if I wanted to speak out against it, basically I could leave. And I just had to keep leaving places. And I kept having to have quiet meetings and private residences and not advertise where I was going in case you know the school found out or my parents found out or yeah fuck it Driscoll found out and hunted me down with a crossbow (laughs) (laughs) and even that like what Josie's talking about like like churches like 
I think even that displays the difference between like, like an, like an evangelical mega church that has no oversight versus a denomination. Cause like United yeah. Methodist, for example, they're split on that of like yeah. being affirming and non-affirming, but they're literally like, we're at the point where we're not going to fight about this anymore. So we're going to split our denomination. And if you don't want to be affirming, you can leave the UMC because yep. UMC is going to yeah. be affirming now. Like, mm-hmm. and so it even just shows that in that accountability of like, like people that stay within the UMC to fight is because they know that there's going to be a solution at the end within the the structure. And so they're like, yeah, yeah we're going to stay and come for this solution versus people in evangelical, like non-denominationals. Yeah. They're like, there is going to be no solution because they there's can, no solution. they don't have to answer to anybody. So yeah. just leave that. Well, and you, there's no, how, how to put this? There's no democracy in most nope. churches. It's yeah. not democratic. It doesn't take the will of the congregation into account unless you fucking leave. And so churches and especially mega churches end up functioning more like a business, more like a product and a commodity that's being sold. And, and they often function independently. And so there's no accountability to a larger group of churches, but mm-hmm. there's also no accountability as, as a business, even mm-hmm. though that's what they're functioning as they yeah. have a product that they're selling. They just call it donations, you know, yeah. versus like, again, like, the church that Josie and I attended. And even now I'm, I'm starting to attend the UMC here mm-hmm. in Arizona. Like they literally are like, Hey, we're having a denominational meeting on this day. Like anybody can come, anybody can listen yeah, because they, they are open and honest about it. They want to be held accountable and they want yeah. you to know that like you have an active participation in this versus exactly yeah. like, like you said, like I don't know. I remember the church I grew up in, like, they'd be like, oh, the elders meet on Mondays at this time. But it was not like anybody can come or like, do you have a question? It was just like, this is when they meet. Yeah. There you go. (laughs) And you can have like prayer request cards. um, But sometimes, especially in an evangelical church, a prayer request card can get your dirty laundry aired in front of everybody. It's a gossip card. (laughs) Yeah. And so when you're in a situation where it's so easy to feel ostracized, um, people just won't speak out. Um, Mm -hmm. especially with like the masculinity thing, you know, men who didn't fit that or didn't feel like they fit that just wouldn't say anything. (laughs) Which is so sad. Yeah. Because I know like, at least in my relationship, I'm definitely the masculine one, right? If we're talking about energies or whatever, I'm the more masculine one. My partner's definitely much more of a feminine spirit than I am. Although we both identify as our born genders, but because this person decided that masculinity has to have a penis, I have to evolve and change who I am. Like, how does that fit? Well, how is that evolving also? Because technically like didn't, well, didn't women come second? Therefore, aren't they like the improvement on men? I don't know. I would assume. (laughs) (laughs) I would think so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm um yeah, I'm I'm finding that there just is so I don't know, there's so much less judgment for me outside of the church just mm. uh 
there's so much that kind of goes unsaid and it's like socially unacceptable rather than outright unacceptable so like for example mark Triscon- mark Triscanal um, <laughs> openly <laughs> demonizes homosexuality and uh you know toots this kind of this is what masculinity looks like horn and so anybody who doesn't fit that doesn't necessarily get like oh my god you're not a real man but they definitely get the like like raised eyebrow looks you know mm-hmm. and when you're a young kid around that especially it can be really damaging um when you're a teenager who's pretty sure they're queer it can become something to rebel against um and when you're the parent of a teenager you're afraid of is queer (laughs) it it becomes like this this thing that you have to try and force your children into to get them to behave again um Mm -hmm. yeah and that's i think one of the reasons why i i mean i stepped away from the church for a very long time until spencer found us a church where not only were they affirming but they were like believe what you want we're just kind of chilling together on sundays for an hour and like I can have like the other day, I just had a conversation with my friend, Bruce, who is, um, ex-military pretty sure he was in the FBI, even though he won't like confirm or deny. Um, he'd have to kill you if he told you. Right. Right. (laughs) And he like, is like, yeah, I go to baseball games and nobody wears a mask. And he's like a little, he's not very conservative, but that's like his little conservative thing. I was like, Bruce, that's not science. And we were just having (laughs) a little row about it. And it was cute. And Bruce has been going to this church, for decades since he was a kid he grew up in the area and i'm pretty sure he saw the evolution of you know non-affirming or not addressing to fully affirming and he stuck with it Mm -hmm. and that's like the type of community that is the only community i was ever able to accept never mind the fact that i'm like the only staff member and everybody knows that if they mistreat me that i'm burning it all down to the ground And I mean, I think, you know, that's something that makes a person like you dangerous in an evangelical church. That's why they never wanted me. They never, you know, they're very hostile to people who could threaten the power hierarchy because it's also, you know, they have to control it. Mm -hmm. And so someone who is breaking the mold someone who is aware of their power and the power of their voice is a huge threat and uh that's why mark driscoll's wife was never handed the microphone yep <laughs> we're just a couple of women speaking in church over here but uh, damn i'm not a woman but thank you <laughs> i meant spencer and i this is our podcast oh. but that's why i said a couple <laughs> Sorry, Um, Ellie. I didn't mean to exclude you either way. (laughs) We're just people that aren't cis white men speaking. We're just not men speaking. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I actually, um, I'm pretty much not. I don't go to church anymore, but if I do attend a a religious service, I go to um, the synagogue with my partner's family um, because they're Jewish. Oh, cute meditative synagogue um in seattle that's like 
it's I love it so much. Um, Judaism is kind of the only monotheistic religion that you can observe while being an atheist mm. or igno- like or like a true agnostic, yes. <laughs> which I'm a pretty big fan of. Um, and oh, you know, something on that note, um, we went there for high holy days in 2019 and they had like guards outside the door. Um oh because a lot of synagogues were being attacked at the time. Yeah. And um, I suddenly remembered this, but um, Mark Driscoll started, uh, he had armed guards, like starting in like 2013, he had like a personal security detail. And I thought that was pretty fucked up. Um, but I also feel like it's a way of like, kind of just making himself look a little more important, feel a little more important. Did he have death threats? Probably. Did he need an armed security detail in a church? I'm pretty sure it's his homeboys that are doing the attacks on people (laughs) that are not like him. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's funny. My parents, Um, uh, mega church pastor has a security detail, um, on Sundays, actually probably not 24 seven, like little Marky Mark, but it's cause people like him too much and they try to hug him. (laughs) I can't. I want yeah. a bodyguard. I think Mark was like all for the photo ops with like fucking kissing the babies and stuff. But he was also for the photo ops of like looking like a badass with his security detail. Very like Putin vibes, oh. right? Like shirtless guns yeah. in the forest. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I don't he know wishes he could be Putin. <laughs> Oh, oh my god which is not something you want your pastor to wish friends oh no 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 all that to say um you should treat your staff and your parishioners very well because they technically pay you much like all power structures not even technically they would yeah they do <laughs> yeah 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 all power is concentrated at the bottom bitches (laughs) yeah all all people should be should be treated equally i you know with equal respect rather um amen yeah love it well thanks for coming ellie thank you for having me um dirt what (laughs) we love the dirt just a couple of worms with your sweet sweet dirt (laughs) dirt 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 dirt. i mean i think it was very educational you know i mean to know the real like nitty-gritty of it wasn't just this homie quit because he couldn't do what he wanted to it was people were fed up and he had really no other choice at that point i mean people were fed up and that made him quit because it meant he couldn't control them (laughs) yeah exactly yeah he needs well, a big fan base in order to stroke his massive ego. Because he has a teeny pee-pee. I'll put money on that, too. Ellie, where can the people find you on that note? <laughs> uh, do you have anything on Instagram? Um, at Moonquistador. <laughs> I love that, what? by the way. Always loved it. Are you asking me for drugs, Joe? No! Like, like a project, a place, a charity, a person. Oh. You sell keychains on Etsy. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Sorry, I... Can you guys hear me? Yes. yes. All right, my, I just missed all of that because my internet connection like went out for a second. What were you Th- saying? That's okay. We just said if you had anything you wanted to plug, like a store, a 
a business, hey. a charity? Um, I want to plug the land back movement. Um, Hell yeah. Let the indigenous homies foster their ancestral lands. Amen. Amen. That's my plug. <laughs> Yay. I concur. I second the motion. Spencer, where can the people find us? Right. The people can find us on Instagram at speaking in church. They can find Josie at Josie takes the world and they can find me at Spence Rose. I love that. Our handles are so different. Yours is Spence Rose. Lovely lady. And mine is taking over the world. Perfect analogies. Well, friends, Thanks for listening. As always, stay woke or get woke. Enjoy your Bye. This has been an irreverent media podcast.